You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. All right, well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and just get started. Um, I know that this is a weekend where several people are out of town and stuff, so no sense delaying the inevitable here, right? There may be somebody jump in, but I will go ahead and get started. So uh, let me open us in prayer. God, we thank you for this time and uh, just pray that you would uh, just uh, cause us to grow in our walk with you and in our love for one another. And Lord, we pray for today's service that it would go well and uh, be a blessing to people. We pray for those that come that, um, uh, that they would commune with you and connect with each other. And we just pray that uh, today would matter in eternity. Uh, so Lord, we pray that you'd use our humble offerings today uh, for your glory. And uh, God, we just give this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what I want to do is just spend maybe uh, just a few minutes going from page 64 to 68, maybe 10 minutes or so discussing that section. And then he jumps into... Um, some examples of, of ways that the authors have calibrated their consciences. And uh, so let's, let's save that. Let's just look at 64 through 68. And then uh, um, when we get to that part, instead of discussing their examples, I would like us to share some examples of things that we've subtracted from our conscience or things that we've added to our conscience in our time of being a Christian. So you can kind of have that rolling around in the back of your head um, for us to not just discuss their examples, but give some of our own. So um, but before we do that, let's, uh, let's, let's, we, 64 was kind of where we left last week. So sinning against your conscience versus calibrating your conscience. So what's the difference between those two? Well, I think that, um, it's the same action you might take, but sinning against it is when you believe that your conscience is right and you go against it and calibrating your conscience is when you've um studied and decided that it's not wrong but yet since you were used to avoiding that thing or whatever then it feels wrong um but you don't believe that your conscience is right in conv- in um condemning you at that point so it has a lot to do with whether you believe your conscience to be right or not your re- initial instinct might be i know this isn't wrong but it kind of feels feels a little funny to me um, that's kind of a, a fine line <laughs> there. So any other thoughts or highlights right there on sinning versus calibrating? I just liked the line in the first paragraph of that section that said to live according to your conscience brings blessing and to train your conscience to more nearly match God's truth brings even more blessing. So it's worth it to make sure that your conscience is calibrated. I like the first, uh, second sentence is to train and educate your conscience, not to sin against it. So like you're <laughs> not ignoring it, you're training, training yourself up to know, to discern um, whether or not you should feel like you're sinning against your conscience or your conscience needs calibrated to discern whether that 
you need to probably be in the in the word and have the holy spirit right he gives the example of peter in acts chapter 10 educate yourself and when and when you shouldn't be uh calibrating or when you may be thinking you're sinning when maybe you're not actually sinning and your conscience is uh, weak. Yep. What happens when you're not qualified to calibrate your own conscience? <laughs> of which that's where I'm at. <laughs> I can't run my own life. I, Pride sneaks in this way, uh, you know, this and that. And so when I hear the word calibrate, I replace it with the word humble. Hum humble yourself instead of calibrate. Because calibrate seems to be something that I can do and maybe qualified to do and have the right tools to do it, of which I find that's not the case i'm going to calibrate it wrong <laughs> yeah i think that you have i think that you have to depend on your church and you know like walking through that with other believers as you're trying to calibrate your conscience you know because i mean yeah we can misinterpret scripture or we can um you know, our, our background and our experiences and what we were taught is so different person to person that sometimes a friend, a godly friend can see it more clearly than we can, I think. And so, so yeah, I think, I definitely think that in one sense, none of us is necessarily qualified to calibrate our conscience because we, you know, we're sinful and we can skew it. But at the same time, God's given us his word and he's given us other believers you know, to help. So that is a good point, Dennis, that I don't, you know, we do need each other, I think. I think being humble would be a prerequisite of calibrating because if you're prideful, then you're going to ignore your conscience when you think your conscience isn't right, when probably it is, but you need to humble yourself and humble people are going to listen to the advice of others and knowing when or not when or when they shouldn't need to calibrate their conscience so i would say that that yeah, being humble first you have to be humble to want to calibrate your conscience or to correct or you could say correct okay so acts 10 he gives the example of peter and uh, God makes him calibrate his conscience pretty quickly. <laughs> the animal's coming down on the sheet. And Peter says, no, it's wrong to eat those. And uh, there's a, a clear word from God to go, no, this, uh, this, this needs to be something that you change right now. And um, so a direct command from scripture Christ himself was commanding on the bottom of 66 
because Christ himself was commanding him, he had to calibrate his conscience so that he would have the faith, the confidence to accept food and people that he was previously not able to accept. And that's really the point of the animals coming down on the sheep sheet was to uh, to be like a metaphor for the Gentiles. The unclean peoples are going to be brought into the into uh, into the kingdom. So receive this food and receive Gentiles, you know, um, so I thought that was a, I thought that was a, is that Alex? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds hey. like her. I could hear that. Call. I could recognize that call anywhere. Yeah. He's always curious. He's always <laughs> where? Say hello. She wants her breakfast. Hey, good morning. Yeah. Good morning. Wondering where the toothpaste is because she don't yeah. have her toothpaste. She's, she's halfway ready, excuse me. <laughs> Aren't we all? So I thought I thought that was a good example, the the Peter example there of uh of uh Peter's conscience needing to make an adjustment. And uh you know, Peter later, Paul has to confront Peter in the book of Galatians, because he, uh, he begins favoring the Jews again, and kind of Jewish customs and sort of adding that. Uh, so um, he has to be challenged again. So there, there certainly was a bit of a relapse in his conscience a little bit later in that um, his, uh, his Jewish intuitions, his strict Jewish upbringing at times needed some, uh, needed some work, because it was hindering the work of the gospel. So just an interesting example there that I think makes sense. Okay, so how do you calibrate your conscience? Let's talk about this little section. He gives uh, two main points there. Calibrate your conscience by educating it with truth and calibrate your conscience with due process. Within educating it with truth, he talks about there is truth inside the Bible and there's truth outside the Bible. Those are not equal. Obviously, the truth of the Bible must, must trump other truths. But so in a sense, we inform our conscience. So we can't really calibrate it unless we're informing it. And I think like, uh, like my dad said, um, it takes a humility before our Bible and before the truth to go, whatever the truth is, I'm going to submit to it. And then by, with God's help, begin to actually feel and act in accordance to the truth. And I think that's what calibrating the conscience is, is to feel and act in alignment with the truth. So, um, yeah. So any highlights or um, questions in this part? On 67, on that first, like, little paragraph by John MacArthur, um, the second to last sentence says, a regular diet of scripture will strengthen a weak conscience or restrain an overactive one. Conversely, error, human wisdom, and wrong moral influences filling the mind will corrupt or cripple the conscience. Um, and I, I don't think we realize how much everything around us influences the way that we think like if we're watching a tv show or on social media or just talking with other people and without like knowing it everything that we come in contact 
affects the way that we think. And so we have to combat the things that are against the Bible or against God's word by reading the Bible and understanding like what the truth actually is. Because it's so easy to kind of slowly, slowly change your opinion or slowly change your understanding of things without you even knowing it. Um, if you're not like aware of your conscience and if you're not in the scripture getting the truth to combat the worldly views of things. Yeah, that's good. I highlighted that one as well. It's, it's good. I thought I highlighted that too. And I was thinking that um, it's interesting that it's the same prescription to fix your conscience, whether your conscience is weak or overactive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So the word of God used with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to, to reshape. And it's our job to, to take in as much truth as possible and be submissive to wherever it leads. Right. <laughs> um, be willing to have that, like, like dad said, that humble posture to, to submit ourselves to it. Um, and I think, yeah, like we've talked about before, our community is a big part of this too, because we have the ability to, to self-deceive and we can kind of pick and choose scriptures that kind of fit what we want to anyway. Like none of us really wants to change our conscience. We think we're right. <laughs> so uh, to, to have the humility to, uh, that's part of why we preach kind of verse by verse through scripture is because if it was just up to me, I would pick the things I want to preach. And, uh, and you would only, the church would only grow to the extent, you know, that I, that I'm at. But when you preach expositionally through scripture, even books and passages, you would rather not preach. The church is, is being fed the entire word of God and actually will grow beyond the limits of their pastor because, you know, and even their pastor grows, if that makes sense. So um, that's why I'm a big fan of that is because uh, it forces me to deal with things I wouldn't otherwise that we need. They're in God's word for a reason. So um, anyway. So I do think like just our personal Bible reading, our personal calibrating, but I think we have to calibrate our consciences as a community too, <clears throat> which is what we're going to get to a lot, I think, in the next chapter is how do we be a community that a community of a bunch of unique consciences. So what about the calibrate your conscience with due process? Did that make sense? I thought so. I thought it was like kind of holding your own trial, like that feeling of, okay, is this right or wrong? And then to think why you feel it's right or wrong. It's like you're looking for supporting evidence. And so then it's like, you have to dig deep to try to figure out, I guess, where your evidence is coming from. And I think he kind of linked to that in uh, point one about the truth being inside the Bible or outside the Bible. So that's kind of where um, everyone's kind of constantly fact checking themselves but it's based on the facts that you're using. And so it's like, well, yeah, that's, that's okay. But then when you realize why it's okay, that's when you're kind of digging deeper. It's okay either because you are, have just always done it that way or because the Bible says it's okay. So that's where it's like in the Bible or out of the Bible, like a family habit versus, you know, theologically sound evidence. So the due process part makes sense when you look at it in that aspect. Okay. Yeah, and then it's good. Go ahead. Oh, it helps give us 
give grace to those who haven't quite gotten their conscience to align with the the truth of the gospel or whatever because it's easy to like judge people for oh i know that i'm supposed to be doing it this way because i know it's okay but then you see other people and you're like why aren't they there why aren't they there yet um but it takes a while so giving grace to others too yeah that's what i was going to say is just the patience of it but it's going to take time it's going to be a lifetime project to get ourselves in line with the word of god and none of us are going to get there <laughs> like it's still going to take you know um it's going to take God glorifying us, but yeah, so, so that's good. You know, we talked early on, I don't remember if you're in our trainings, but in, and in that little green book, Ray Ortland says the gospel plus safety plus time equals transformation. So just the gospel again and again and again, the power of Jesus and the implications of what it means to come and follow him, the gospel plus safety, you know, that people can, can be themselves and begin to work through these things without feeling like they're going to get hammered plus time is what leads to transformation. So the gospel is the power of God. It just needs to be experienced within a safe community over time. It's going to change people. The gospel doesn't fail in that regard. So to me, that seems like that's kind of the idea there. The due process is that it's going to be a ongoing applying the gospel to different aspects of our life over and over and over and over again in community and with each other. That's going to make us more like Jesus. So All right, any uh, final thoughts on that section? I think that's helpful. Lots of Bible. Bible, prayer, community, some of those things. Okay, so now he talks about uh, examples. And he says, basically, we calibrate in two basic methods. So he's kind of oversimplifying here, but just two basic things. By adding or subtracting. And he gives the example on the bottom of 69 that if your scale reads 115 pounds, but should say 120 pounds, you need to add five pounds to the scale to get it accurate. If your scale reads 115 pounds and it should say 110, then you need to subtract to get it calibrated. So just using those two categories of adding and subtracting, um, what are some areas, like since you've become a Christian, where you've subtracted from your conscience? something you thought really was wrong and bad to do early on, that now you've kind of changed your mind. You're not, you're not, uh, over time you've grown to the place where you, uh, you don't feel like that thing's wrong. You've subtracted it from your conscience. Any examples of that? Um, one of the things I shared with them was uh, just alcohol. Um, I shared with them that, you know, just uh, my dad's out of the family. My grandpa, he was an alcoholic, nearly almost killed my dad with, when he was an infant. And so growing up as a, you know, a child hearing that, you know, that actually scared me to death. Like, you know, if I ever take a small sip of a little bit of alcohol, I'll become an alcoholic and um, just didn't want to touch it, didn't want to mess with it. Uh, so all my conscience, all throughout, of course, childhood, my teen years, even in uh, my early adult years, um, early 20s and but uh, over time, just uh, what you're mentioning uh, about God's word, biblically, what does um, God's word say about alcohol? And, um, and finally, just, yeah, God gave me peace about that, about like, well, I mean, alcohol is not wrong in itself. 
as long as you're not um, overusing it to become drunk and um, literally um, just not bringing God glory if you're <laughs> um, just using it in a manner that would be wrong um, according to God's word. So um, for me, that was a lack of scale that I subtracted that. And um, and over the years, I mean, yeah, I, I actually enjoy drinking some alcohol um, without, you know, feeling burdened and feeling like, oh, I'm going to become an alcoholic. So, um, but at the same time, I did share with Fabri and Melody too. Um, I know there's some people, uh, their testimony or their life, uh, that's something that they really struggle. And so um, they had to subtract it completely out of their lives so that they won't fall back into sin. So, um, uh, for example, uh, I know Max, um, uh, some months pass, of course, but um, when he would come over to my house, I have a, a bottle opener. So whether for alcohol or sodas with hard caps on, um, I would I would get rid of it. I would hide it. Uh, not to hide uh, my freedom or anything from alcohol, but I didn't want to trip Max. I didn't want to put a, a, a stumbling block for him, for him to fall back or to uh, um, encounter old memories or, or anything, anything in that scenario. So when he would come over, all that would be gone. The moment he leaves or the next day, I'll put it right back and be fine with it. So. Okay, that's a good example, Stephen. Others, what are some things just in your Christian life that you subtracted from your conscience? You're a, you're freer in than you used to be. Um, I I've been kind of uh, enjoy listening to Ravi Zachariah, and uh, so I've enjoyed what he has to say and how he says it. And I went to God YouTube and I found out that he had a very unique relationship with uh, uh, Mormons. And he spoke quite frequently at different big Mormon events. And that that caused me to, Robbie, who are you? You know, kind of thing. And, and Robbie was just saying what he says. He was honoring Jesus and whatever doors opened. And they just, uh, the Mormons loved him at, uh, you know, to have him come. And so that was a, I had to distract, re, you know, retract that, that, you know, I assume any association with uh, the Mormons has got to be a little strange. And, but Robbie, he could do it. He went in there and spoke the truth and, and it really worked. So that, that was a change for me. Good. I would say everything, like almost every example that he gave, is, I can refer back to any point in my life before becoming a Christian, like it's a complete 180 degree turn in my conscience of like my ways before I became a Christian and after becoming a Christian, like my college years and stuff, just getting drunk and me and Amanda together was wrong and um, living together and premarital sex and porn and masturbation. All that. No, it should be here soon. Okay. Say hi to Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Sorry, Jamie, go ahead. Drunkenness and 
like even when me and Amanda got married and had kids, we would get into screaming matches and fights and just about stupid things. And like now it's like a complete 180, 80 degree turn. It's just been amazing the transformation that we've had in becoming a Christian has had on our lives. That's great. Thank you, Jamie. I think I can think of a lot of things um, that I think I'm freer in, in my conscience than I used to be. I can remember, I think, you know, maybe as a teenager, kind of thinking that listening to any secular music was just going to, you know, devastate your walk with God. And uh, so um, I don't think that anymore. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I can think of lots of things like that, especially, I think especially with as much Christian schooling as I've had, um, and we're going to, it's going to be a little bit later that um, sometimes in a Christian home, and particularly I think sometimes in a Christian school, you know, the standards and then the biblical standards all get kind of mushed together, and so you begin to see them as the same. And he talks a little bit about here as parents, we need to be careful that we may have kind of family standards that are just more practical. But if those sound the same as the biblical standards, our kids can become legalistic and kind of harsh in that regard. And so um, finding that way to be able to go, hey, the Bible doesn't require, but this is just kind of how we operate. I think he gave the example of chewing your fingernails, that that was wrong in his house. And he thought it was just like biblically wrong because it was wrong, like, you know, like, like murder was wrong, you know. And so um, I guess I can think of a lot of things, but that was one that kind of came up, um, I think, to my mind pretty quickly was just that. All secular music was going to ruin your ruin your life. So, um, to listen to it at all, or to be riding with your Christian friend who had something on, meant that man, I guess he wasn't near the Christian I thought he was. <laughs> so, um, so that's like kind of a, a simple example. But let's put Sarah on the spot. Yes, hello. We're talking about things we've uh, subtracted from our conscience over the years. Certainly, yeah. you've maybe had something that maybe you grew up with or thought um. was sin, but you don't believe to be sin now. Music was one of them, but it was very much like if my parents liked it, they could listen to it. But unless, well, so like the Eagles, for example, like we could always listen to the Eagles, but other secular music was bad. Um, so it was like if they really liked it, we could listen to it. Um, but now, like, I know their convictions on that, and as well as mine, are much different. Like, our conscience are very different on secular music now. Um, I think of what other things were like a big deal. There wasn't a lot that was a big deal in my house. I don't know. They need those, those Ebens need yeah. a little need a few more rules. It sounds yeah. like. Yeah, One thing. Backstreet Boys and uh, Eagles, and that was it. That's funny, Backstreet Boys. Um, <laughs> one thing I thought about was, um, and I knew this was a family rule. I didn't. I knew it wasn't in the Bible, but. Um, my parents are older, and they're just more formal. You know, they grew up when in just a more formal time and so like I was not allowed to wear jeans to church and even though I knew it was their rule it took me a long time in my adult life to feel comfortable and free to wear jeans to church like I don't know so that's one for me yeah I would that would be like the same for me too which is like why I still wear dresses so much is because it's like ingrained in my head that like you dress up for church which yeah. can be detrimental too to like other people who are coming are like oh am I supposed to dress up and you're like no 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 I just have weird things in my head yeah <laughs> yeah uh, other examples 
Um, I, was, I remember reading about Spurgeon and his smoking of cigars. And, uh, you know, that, the, the struggle that, how he defended the smoking of cigars. And later, I think he kind of corrected that. But to see how that at any level, uh, these, these things can creep in and you can defend them. And, but anyway, Spurgeon was a heavy smoker of cigars and heavily defended that. And that's a, that was a change for me to, uh, did I get kicked off? No, you're no. still here. Oh, you're here. Okay. But, you yeah. know, and I have the same thing about gambling, you know, I, I look down on people who, who do those things and I, it's, uh, needs to be subtracted in the right proportion. Yeah. I was going to say <clears throat> in regard to like the Bible subtracting the, when it's not even in the Bible, really, it's more for like infant baptism. I was just thinking about last weekend, we were at my parents' house and I forgot. My mom brought something up about, I need to read the Bible more. And uh, she said she was talking about something about <clears throat> How she wish our nieces would get baptized and I was like because they never got baptized as infants and kind of she came from Presbyterian background and I was like oh you realize that we me and Amanda don't really we don't agree with that infant baptism correctly believe more in believers baptism um as We've read the Bible more and more and come to understand it doesn't really even say anything about infant baptism. And I think that's because we got Braden baptized and I was like, we've never had Cora baptized or Braden and Alex because that was when we were going to United Church of Christ in Rapid and then we went to United Church in Christ of Christ up in Washington. Um and we just thought that baptism, infant baptism was something that you had to do. Uh, it's like ever since we've been uh, born again, I guess, when we moved to Louisiana, it's it's something that I've subtracted from my conscience is not like, yeah, the Bible is right. And I think we are right in believers' baptism and repenting and knowing Jesus as your Savior is so much more important than oh we did baptize our child i was telling my mom I was like that's not something we believe in she's like i need to read the bible more like yes you do <laughs> it was one of those like family rules like family standards that you know you're accustomed to versus what's biblically sound. So it's just interesting to have a discussion about it on why it's a, you know, a break from the family tradition. So. Yeah, like all my family has gotten baptized and they go about their lives not even doing anything like for Christ or following Christ or It's like, why do you celebrate Christmas? You might believe, you think you believe in Jesus, but you're not truly following. 
Yeah, good. Are there any things, let's switch to the second one, any, any ways that you've calibrated your conscience by adding to it? Maybe things you didn't feel convicted about early on in your Christian life, but now you go, no, I think, I think it's wise for me not to do that thing. So is there anything you've added to your conscience, a restriction you've added to your conscience as you've grown in Christ? Yeah, I added like, I don't know, dressing modestly, mostly like wearing short shorts. I remember middle school, high school, they always told us we couldn't wear certain shorts or clothing to um, camps and stuff. And I, I knew it was like modest to not wear short shorts, but I never really understood like the actual reasonings of why they told us stuff. But it seemed like they always like hounded on us and it was just like, well, I want to wear these shorts. It's hot out. And then I remember, um, and I would, pr I would wear close to being okay shorts for those things because I was supposed to. Um, but then I remember my junior year of college, I think, or my, between my sophomore, I don't remember exactly when, um, hold on, I have a timer. Um, I remember wearing these short shorts while I was riding my bike and I, this older guy had like looked at me weird and I don't know if he was like looking at me or just like glanced past me but I felt like oh I don't want him to look at me then I'm like well gee if I don't want an older guy to look at me then I shouldn't be wearing shorts that younger guys would be like my age guys would be looking at me too so then that day I got rid of my shorts and some pants that were too tight and all these things and then um, I was on a missions trip that summer and I remember wanting to, because I know a lot of the girls, we were on, we were on a beach, so like we had to wear one pieces or whatever, um, and some of the girls would complain about it, but then something in my brain like finally like clicked like, oh, like I don't want to be tempting my fellow Christian brothers, and so like I might as well be wearing something that's a little bit less revealing so they don't have to feel awkward and have to like turn their heads um, so we can actually just enjoy each other on the beach and all of that. But it took like many, many, many years of people kind of telling me what was right, but then me figuring out like the difference between all of that. Um, so now when I get shorts, they're like, they're more appropriate. They're not as short as they, a lot of them are. So it took a lot of my own like understanding of why, um, and not just to like not distract guys, but to to not distract from the gospel and all of that too. So it took a lot of like fine tuning of that. And That's good. That's a good example, Krista, I like that. All right, I'm gonna get ready to go. Okay. See ya. Bye Krista, see you in a bit. I think for me, um, and I don't even know if I could like even define the standard, but I think that my entertainment choices have um, like what I, what I choose to watch, um, have like those standards have gotten tighter as I've gotten older. And I think a lot of it is just because I, I see how it affects me and my thoughts. Um, and so as I've been able to see that I've been a lot pickier, I think about entertainment choices. So that might be something. Yeah, I would second that. I feel like when we're so crunched on time, if we can sit down to actually enjoy a film or something. It's like, we wanna have it, I don't know, not necessarily build you up, but something that isn't 
disruptive to your thought process. So I don't know. I just feel like we're more selective on if we actually have time to sit and watch a movie together or something about what it is. That's good. We're on subtracting, right? We're on adding. Adding. What is something you've added to your conscience? A wow. restriction that you didn't have before that now you do. Okay. A restriction that you didn't have. Okay. Yeah. I think that's why I misunderstood what Bree was saying. Because uh, I was thinking that's like, I'm doing something less. So I was thinking that's subtraction versus I added this so that I don't do this. Okay. Yeah. I think we're thinking from the perspective of the conscience. What's, uh -huh. a, what's a rule I let go, let go of? That's what we talked about earlier. Now it's like, what's a what's a rule, so to speak, that I've added to my life that I didn't have before? Okay. Yeah, I think I flip flop should have been in this, sorry, my previous example of my previous life would have been in this portion and not subtracting from. Yeah, that's fine. We, we understood what you were saying, so. And sometimes it's not a clean, <laughs> a clean thing. Adding something sometimes means subtracting something else. And so yeah. it's usually not quite that clean, but yeah. I think we've also added more of like, I don't know if you could say what, what like the kids choose to wear and what kind of branding or name, but the message is that some, more for the girls, the girls clothing has a lot of interesting messages on them these days. And so it's um, something we've had to kind of filter out because there's been, I don't know, there's just some mixed messages that would come across and it's like, you know, it's not really what we want you to think or believe. and so. It's kind of interesting trying to find a happy medium for what they like because they'll really love the shirt, but then the message is just like, that's not really how we want you to present yourself. Um, so I guess that's been interesting to try to rein in with them. Yeah, I think for me, certain social media things are just not, it, both the time, the time wasting, um, I'm just not interested in managing a lot of them, but then Sometimes, and this is like being educated with truth outside the Bible. Some of them, I just kind of know what they were started to do. And some of the, you know, um, what kind of the original intention of what some of those are. And sometimes they've morphed and I don't necessarily think that participating in them is necessarily on any particular one is a issue. But there are some that because of what I know what they were intended to be used for, I've gone, you know what, I'm just, I, I would rather not contribute myself to that. And uh, at least with students, sometimes I've kind of tried to inform them and try to distract them from going, hey, there's there's other other things that are either less risky or had different intentions or, you know, um, so yeah, that would be one that I, I think that certain social media platforms are unhelpful or unsafe or whatever. Um, for myself and then sometimes I actually try to shape someone else's conscience and go <laughs> stick to something else. So anyway, that would be one that I thought of just, you know, in addition to what you guys said. Yeah, I think that's good because I think social media is really hard to understand like what you mean when you post something or you like something. And so it can be construed really wrong. So by you liking a certain group or commenting on something, um, someone can really turn that around on you and it'll come off maybe not the way you want. So I think it's hard, but you have to kind of filter that as well. Right. You know, like one example is like Tinder. You know, Tinder is designed to be a hookup app. 
So I'm not saying that necessarily everybody that gets on that or someone may innocently get on that to connect with someone they know or something, but to go, hey, you do understand what this is for and why the majority of people are on that, right? So um, I would encourage you maybe to pick something else, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, anyway, Snapchat, you know, was has kind of a uh, less than pure beginning as well, although I think, you know, I, I feel less strongly about that one. So for me, that's just one example, you know, a few examples for a variety of reasons why I don't participate in certain ones and then and then why I, I try to kind of generally discourage others if I give opportunity. So like there are things. So I guess one thing I've added to my conscience uh, is observing the Lord's Day. So. Uh, so I feel. I feel strongly about, say, not eating out, for example, uh, or or really spending doing anything will require somebody else to come into work on Sunday, if possible. And uh, it's interesting because Melody does not show the same conviction, but it's like kind of a crucial, awkward one that we have to work through sometimes on Sundays. Now, because Melody is celiac, it's really hard to go out to eat. Uh, so when people invite us out to eat after church or something, it's like, it's kind of can be an awkward sort of thing, but we really usually can't because either, well, for, we primarily wouldn't be able to do it because of my conscience, but, you know, Melody Celiac also makes it impossible. So it's not like there's constant tension over it, but it is kind of a odd situation where I've added that to my conscience. Melody doesn't really, isn't totally convinced, but she's, I think that in some ways her, her conscience is like unsettled on, on it. She's not convinced, but she's like, well, you know, I, I, I can see where you're coming from. And yeah, I don't know. Like, she, I think she's still kind of in the calibration process. Um, and of course, because there's, there's some Christians that make good arguments why you shouldn't or don't need to. And I, I recognize that. So that can, always gives me a little bit of a, often gives me pause. And I'm like, I mean, like a legalistic Christian. So, but that's, that's one that I've added and wrestle with kind of regularly so after church she can go to a restaurant but she can't order anything exactly you can eat whatever you want at the restaurant yeah, but, but you're I gonna can. be at home exactly okay so <laughs> the sunday lunch is a is a tough time pray yes. for the mcgearys yeah pray for us <laughs> <laughs> well that's uh we probably need to, to stop there some of you i think need to kind of transition and, and get here so um let's kind of pause it right there there's a great list on 80 and 81 uh, that would be fun. I'm sure that we could spend several minutes talk, you know, talking about our consciences on each of those, and that's just a starting point. There's lots of other things, but I think it's it's important for us to be honest and open about our conscience, and also be gracious in receiving other people's consciences. Because sometimes we encounter something that we've never even thought about before, yeah. and that may be good for us, or it may actually be good for for that. They maybe they've never thought any other way, and so that iron sharpening iron can be really helpful. And I do hope that we create a culture where we can be honest about what we think and also humble enough to go, um, I, I don't have good biblical support for this, so I'm willing to be persuaded, you know, or whatever. So um, that's gonna be the next chapter, I think, is how do we, how do we live as Christians when our consciences differ? And, um, and so we'll, uh, we'll jump into that next week in terms of, okay, what, what do we do? What do we do when we have different, different things. 
going on. And uh, so we're starting to get where the rubber meets the road, I think. Bree, will you pray for us to close us out? Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a conscience and for the blessing it is to um, have an internal um, thing that convicts us when we're wrong and that helps us make choices that honor you. God, I do pray that you would help us to take our consciences seriously and take calibrating them seriously so that we line our consciences up with your word. Um, God, I pray that you would guide us and that we would be gentle with each other when um, our consciences differ. And I do pray that you would help us to just more and more um, calibrate our consciences and, and allow those to, to be used by you to sanctify us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, bye, y'all. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.